Sometimes it can feel like you've already watched every show out there. Enter Acorn TV. Acorn TV streams the most binge-worthy of British programming, from cozy mysteries and police procedurals to delightful period dramas and so much more. Do you love a clever, cheeky whodunit? Then check out Midsummer Murders. The new season is out now. Two murders in the same wood within three weeks. This is the country. And in the country, anything goes. Acorn TV is just $5.99 a month. And proof listeners can try Acorn TV for free for 30 days. Go to acorn.tv and use promo code PROOF. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV, code P-R-O-O-F. Hey guys, Bridget here. Before we start this week's episode of Proof, I've got a favor to ask. We've posted a link to a survey in the show description, and we want to know what you think. It only takes a few minutes, and it really helps us to make the show better. Now, on to Proof. For some that work in the restaurant industry, serving others doesn't stop at the end of the workday. The call to serve is especially strong in times of need. Restaurants and their workers are often the first to set up fundraisers for those who are down on their luck. One famous example is Jose Andres. The notable chef created the nonprofit organization World Central Kitchen in 2010 to respond to crises around the world. In 2017, after the devastation of Hurricane Maria, World Central Kitchen served over three and a half million meals in Puerto Rico. And it's not just famous chefs doing this great work. And it's not just a modern phenomenon. There's a real history of restaurants in the U.S. helping those in need. In the late 1800s, some establishments, known as penny restaurants, would charge customers a penny per menu item. So a filling meal of bread and a bowl of soup would cost next to nothing. These places became more widespread during the Great Depression, a time when people faced hours standing in bread lines. Penny restaurants were an alternative, one that served a little dignity with the meal. Today's story is about two very special people in the restaurant industry that, during the pandemic, answered the call to serve others. They offer vulnerable communities food security, relief, and dignity. From America's Test Kitchen, I'm Bridget Lancaster, and this is Proof. You know the drill. A friend lands a new job or a birthday sneaks up on you, and you need a gift. And you need it delivered fast. So what do you do? Well, if you want something delicious, locally made, and handcrafted, you should head to Edible's website or visit your local store. They've got so much more than just fresh fruit arrangements as well. There's all kinds of gourmet treats to choose from, like miniature New York-style cheesecakes or dark chocolate caramel popcorn. Or how about fresh-dipped chocolate strawberries? Well, Edible has something for every occasion and price point. And you can even get same-day delivery for those last-minute birthdays and other occasions. Or free next-day delivery. Visit Edible.com or your local Edible store and get $10 off your order when you use the code PROOF at checkout. 
That's E-D-I-B-L-E dot com, offer code PROOF. Jean Trin brings us this story, which she originally reported in The Washington Post. Damian Diaz and Othon Nolasco are the kind of guys who have big ideas and somehow magically make them happen. They made a name for themselves in Los Angeles's bar scene. The friends created the cocktail programs for some of the city's hottest spots, like Everson Royce Bar and Gorilla Tacos. They whipped up cool cocktails, like a tequila drink punched up with a tomatillo serrano shrub. It was garnished with a cucumber and a giant prawn. But in March 2020, their lives changed. The pandemic transformed the way Damian and Othon approached the idea of serving. With bars closed and people out of work, it pushed them to help those in need. They decided to launch a nonprofit. These days, they serve a different clientele, one that's not in front of the bar, and their days start off a lot differently now. I usually wake up about 5.45 a.m., 6 a.m. That's Damian. And I try to build a ritual each and every day, get hydrated, take a walk outside on my patio, I like drawing a line on the horizon of the mountains I see, just to kind of put me in work mode to gear up for it. And when the time is right, I'll head out to Oton and I's office over in Boyle Heights. Oton's usually there way before me. I'm in the office no later than 4.15. That's Oton. Because we have this huge deliveries that come in on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We move over 150,000 pounds of food a week through our office and to the families we serve. Damian tells me he grew up in Vallejo, a diverse city in Northern California. It's a place where he learned early on as a kid that it was important to get his hands dirty. I grew up in a traditional Mexican household where my father would wake me and my siblings up, specifically my brother and I, on Saturday mornings. And there was really no such thing as Saturday morning cartoons, I should say. I would go out there with my brother and we would pick weeds. We would crush cans to recycle. There was always something to be had. Damian's parents are both immigrants from the state of Aguas Calientes in Mexico. When his father and maternal grandfather came to the U.S., they both worked hard jobs like picking produce in the fields and dishwashing. Damian credits his mother for inspiring him to do what he does today. She was recently elected to the Vallejo City Council as the first Latina person ever to hold that position there. Growing up, she shared the importance of activism and advocating for the people, for our immigrant community. Damian remembers in middle school that his mom pulled him and his little brother out of class to cut school. She drove them a few towns over to see Dolores Huerta speak. Dolores is one of the most influential labor and civil rights activists of our time. She's also a major player in the Chicano civil rights movement. I met her and I had pictures of her and it was so inspiring to hear her speak and advocate for the immigrant populace here in this country. Meeting Dolores was just one of the ways Damian's parents worked hard to make sure their kids wouldn't forget where they came from. It kept Damian humble. I remember going to Mexico numerous times all throughout my childhood with the family and seeing firsthand what real poverty was. You know, the idea of a child not having shoes on their foot for the first time as I looked at my Nikes and and asking myself why that is. 
Damian eventually got into the restaurant industry. He started as a dishwasher and worked his way up the ranks. But it wasn't until he got behind the counter as a bartender that he fell in love with the hospitality industry. One of his favorite memories was of an older Mexican man who came into his bar. The man was wearing a cowboy hat, flannel shirt, and cowboy boots. It was my duty as a professional servant to make him feel comfortable and at home and welcome, just as anyone else sitting inside or outside that patio for that matter. So he sits down and we exchange stories. And then this hipster kid sits next to him. And before you know it, the three of us were just hanging out, talking about God knows what at the time in his broken English and in this hipster kid's broken Spanish. And together it was like we're making this beautiful thing happen for facilitating these memories that I to this day, and I know that this gentleman still believes it and remembers it to this day. Damian ended up meeting Oton in that very same industry. Oton calls himself a lifelong professional servant. When I met my partner, Damien, this is about eight years ago, he was working at a Mexican restaurant in Los Angeles in downtown, and I started working there, and we became fast friends. The two friends differ in that Damian is much more effusive than Othon. Othon is a bit more reserved with his words. But Othon's upbringing is similar to Damian's in some ways. He's also the son of immigrants. Othon's father is from Mexico. In the 1890s, his mother's side of the family moved from Mexico to Boyle Heights. It's an L.A. neighborhood with a large Latino population. Othon's parents both had working-class jobs. His mother works at Albertsons, and his father used to work for Coca-Cola Mexico. And then Othon himself was born and raised in Boyle Heights. Although he tells me that it's the epicenter of Mexican-American culture, it wasn't always easy living there. Growing up in the 80s and 90s was tough. There was a lot of gang violence. There was a lot of poverty and a lot of drugs. My family always stressed school and athletics, so I was fortunate enough to to not get caught up in any of that. When Athone was playing college football, he tore his rotator cuff. Things changed for him because he now had to figure out a way to pay for school. Back when I was 17, 18, that was my first job, was to uh, be a dishwasher in a restaurant, as it was Damien's. And we kind of rose up to there and did, you know, the the gradual progression, runner, busboy, expediter, server, barback, bartender. So we just kind of grew with the industry as we matured. Athon and Damian eventually partnered to start their own bar consulting company. It's called Vala Hospitality. The name is a mashup of Damian's roots in Vallejo and Othon's in L.A. They opened up a thousand-square-foot office in Boyle Heights. They created cocktail menus, trained and recruited bartenders, and managed bar operations. It was a successful company. They didn't know it at the time, but their experience running large operations ended up coming in handy for the next chapter in their lives, helping people in the pandemic. There was a specific moment last March when Damian realized the pandemic was getting serious. I was coming home from work from one of our clients and I had the radio on and I heard Tom Hanks got COVID. (laughs) And um, it sounds a little silly, but we're talking Woody, we're talking Forrest Gump. I don't know why it struck a chord, but it was someone that was so famous of his status and celebrity where it became a real, it wasn't just someone's uncle or not to discredit any of that, but someone in such a public eye where everyone pretty much in the world knew who this person was. 
Othon and Damian started seeing a bunch of GoFundMe charity drives pop up on social media. But those fundraisers were mostly for bartenders and front-of-house restaurant workers. Othon explains. It just seemed that nobody was even considering what was going to happen to their back-of-the-house and documented staff. Damian also remembers feeling this way. They're our friends. And I can't tell you how many times Othon and I would invite compadres and comadres out for beers and just to hang out after work, the dishwasher or the line cooks, you know, it's a sense of community. And what about them? We knew that people were going to be hard-pressed for money with no income. Of the 11 million undocumented immigrants in the U.S., many are pumping billions of dollars each year to state and local taxes. But they aren't eligible to receive most emergency government aid during the pandemic even though they're essential to this country's food systems. Damian sees this as a major injustice. The folks that pick those lovely fruits and vegetables to the folks that put them in boxes and logistically distribute them to all the hotels and bars and restaurants that we grew to love, to the individuals that prep, cook, and clean these ingredients so that we can enjoy them and nourish our bodies with, it is a whole chain. Athon said he and Damian felt like they needed to do something about it. So we reached out to a few friends that we had worked with for years and had this hard talk with them financially. Like, how are you going to be set up if this is shut down? And a lot of our friends were like, oh, just be like two weeks. So that'll take us to like April 1st and I'll just have to talk to my landlord and let them know I'm going to be a little late on rent. At the time, Othon said he and Damian didn't know how long the pandemic was going to last, but they had a feeling it was going to be more than two weeks. So... Having that conversation with our friends, they had not been able to save really anything to get them to this period of shutdown because working two or three jobs, any money that they have extra, they send back home to Mexico or Central America. That's when they decided they were going to buy food for their friends with their own money. The first day, Damian and Othon headed over to a restaurant supply store with $400. Othon remembers it this way. Honestly, it was tough. It was a Thursday morning. And, you know, everyone was hitting up, you know, Target. That's when there was like no toilet paper to be found. And we were loading up this huge industrial cart. And I remember seeing the signs over the rice and beans saying limit two bags per customer. And a lot of the shelves were being restocked. And there was stuff that was backordered already. Damian calculated that it would cost $33 to feed a family of four for a week. They helped 10 families that first day. Damian and Othon applied for an LLC and filed paperwork to become a nonprofit. They started asking friends and family for donations. Grandmothers and aunties would write checks. Younger folks would send money through PayPal and Venmo to get the ball rolling. They came up with the name No Us Without You. They chose it to show how important the undocumented staff are to them. In the early days of No Us Without You, Damian, Othon, and their small group of volunteers would buy and box the fresh produce and dried goods that they'd hand out. As the nonprofit grew, they got corporate sponsors who stepped in to buy them refrigerators and a refrigerated box truck. The team began ordering prepackaged boxes of food from an outside company instead of boxing the items themselves. But there's still a lot of work that they all do, says Othon. They physically move pallets into our office, organize them, put them where they belong in their homes, and then start to prepare 
what looks like endless stacks of colored milk crates that we use because they're modular and we can load up our refrigerator truck with them with everything that we need. So that usually takes four to six hours for them to do. They created a weekly drive-through pickup system for their recipients. And it was important to them that they treated those recipients with the same respect they would if they were patrons at one of their bars. It's important that the families that we serve always feel that there are guests, you know, when they drive up to our distributions, they're offered ice cold Topo Chico's. They are greeted by name and they are always thanked when they leave. Just as the restaurant and bar industry wouldn't be the same without undocumented workers, No Us Without You wouldn't be complete without both Oton and Damian. Oton is the mind of the operation, and Damian is the heart. Damian interviews new families to bring them into the program. He then checks in on them on the regular once they're in it. I have this like weird mama goose syndrome where I'm just like, hey, how are you? How you been? How are things? Do you still have that job? Are you still working? How are you feeling post-COVID? I'm so happy to see you. Othon handles logistics, marketing, and fundraising. When we get back into the office from the field, the emails just pile up and they need attention and you know everything's a deadline when it comes to grants. So the majority of my day is just communications. It would seem like a straightforward relationship between those who need help and those who are giving help. But it's not always easy for Damian and Othon to get undocumented workers to trust them and accept charity. Damian explains. I have family that don't qualify for government assistance for obvious reason. And I think a lot of us do if we're of immigrant background. And I know what it's like to live in a state of paranoia on a daily basis when all you want to do is work and get ahead, send money back home to Central America or Mexico or the Caribbean, but yet you still have this thing looming over your shoulder where all you want to do is just fill up your gas tank and then the cop pulls over next to you and you try not to look suspicious even though you've done nothing wrong. Damian often goes the extra mile to make sure the people in his program feel safe. So sometimes you have to reopen up old wounds to level out that playing field so that the person that you call or reach out to really fully know that you have their security in mind and their best interest of their family in mind. So in the beginning, it was trying to spiel them without sounding like a telemarketer, just being very genuine. And what I mean by that is just not trying to sound repetitive as if it's rehearsed. Someone who was skeptical at first about getting help from No Us Without You is Jose Ventura. Damian remembers meeting Jose for the first time. Jose showed up late to pick up his food box. Then he tried to test them to see if they were actually a real organization. We were kind of on the tail end of the pickup window. He was the last person and we were kind of cleaning up. And he was like, is this for real? Are you guys cleaning up? It was a little awkward at first. Jose eventually warmed up. So he came up and we gave him his box and we exchanged a few words and he was very grateful early on. He was like, thank you guys for doing what you're doing for our community. This is almost too good to be true. It's important to Damian and Nathan that recipients take the program seriously once they're in it. They wanted Jose to know that too. I was like, hey man, like, please just show up on time next time. We'll be here for you. You got my number. Tell me if you're going to be late. And we'll figure something out, but we're going to keep this thing going for you and everyone that's part of it. 
Mi nombre es José Ventura. Trabajo en restaurant. That's Jose. Jose explains to me that before the pandemic, he was working 60 hours a week between three restaurant jobs. He bussed tables. He enjoyed the work. Yo trabajo en el área de servicio. La gente se siente agradecida que nosotros... I work in the service industry and people are thankful that we are working and that we continue to provide our services. I think that the most important thing is that we are here to help others by providing, in this case, a service to the clients that visit the restaurants where I work. Jose is from Oaxaca, Mexico. He was a federal government worker there, and he was 34 years old when he came to the U.S. with his family in search of better opportunities. The way I got here, specifically my arrival to the U.S., is due to my country's situation and the working conditions there. I couldn't study, so I didn't have access to any medium-level type of work similar to what I have now. I have a family, and I have to give a better future to my family. But his family returned to Mexico because there weren't jobs for them in the U.S., Jose's been living and working in L.A. by himself ever since. He sends money home to pay for his daughter's food, rent, and schooling while they attend college in Mexico. Jose described what the past four years have been like on his own. Well, it really only has been about work, saving money so I can send it to my family. Part of Jose's work ethic is based off the concept of techio. This was instilled in him when he was a kid. I come from Oaxaca City, where we have a constant and traditional community participation in social work. It can be a neighborhood, or the school, or building a church. It's something that all of us get involved in. We learn about this early on in elementary school. We learn about this by a simple word, tequio, which basically means the collective work done within a community for the sake of such community. When Jose's work hours took a nosedive in the pandemic, he learned about Know Us Without You. He saw the idea of Techio echoing in the work the organization did. I live with a friend from Oaxaca who is a cook. He told me about the organization and he said that some of our friends from work were also receiving food from the pantry. And I think that I became more involved two or three weeks after that. After the break, we'll meet another person who became part of No Us Without You. While we've all been itching to go outside and feeling cooped up, if you will, the hens at Pete and Jerry's Organics have been living a life of freedom. They've been roaming around in open pastures, foraging for delicious grasshoppers and grubs, and munching on organic feed. This lifestyle and a good diet makes their eggs the highest quality in the egg aisle. Pete and Jerry's Organic eggs have tall, firm yolks with a deep golden hue and creamy texture. Perfect for use for a comforting egg drop soup or an old-fashioned vanilla frozen custard. Just like those hens, let your imagination roam free about your next recipe using Pete and Jerry's organic eggs. Believe in what you buy. Pete and Jerry's organic eggs are available nationwide at a fine grocer near you.
You know when you're baking and you have to move your head up and down every time that you need to look at the side of the liquid measuring cup? Yeah, well, the folks at OXO hate that too. And that's why they designed the OXO Angled Measuring Cup. Karen Schnellwar, who heads up brand and marketing for OXO, explains. What OXO learned was with certain materials, we can actually bend in the cup on the side. It actually creates an angled ramp, and that allows us to print on that internal ramp that allows you to accurately measure things in our measuring cup without having to bob your head up and down, without having to move your arm up and down. Measure better and from above. Shop all products at OXO.com. That's OXO.com. OXO. Better. Guaranteed. Hey there, Proof listeners. It's Bridget here. And I've got a real craving for mangoes lately. So I called on my test kitchen colleague, Carmen Dongo, to see if she can point me to some exciting new recipes. Hey, Carmen. Hey, Bridget. So what do you have for me? Well, here's some delicious options. You can have them no matter what season or time of year. First up, mango mint salsa. This salsa is fresh and delicious, combining sweet mango, tart lime juice, and spicy minced jalapeno. Oh, this sounds so good because it's going to heat you up and cool you down at the same time. That's right. <laughs> Next up, we have amkilasi, also known as mango yogurt drink. Our recipe uses a pinch of salt and squeezed lime to perk up the flavors of the mango. Perfect. I could drink that by the gallon. Mm-hmm. And finally, we have Middle Eastern pickled mango. Did you know mangoes can be fermented? Ooh, tell me more. This process will both preserve the mangoes and add a little pucker to it. It's great to eat on its own, or you can use it to make a pickled mango sauce called amba, which can be used on seafood, kebabs, and even eggs. Nutritious and delicious. Go to mango.org proof for tantalizing mango recipes and to learn more about mangoes. And now, back to Jean's story. Another person who learned about Know Us Without You is Merced Sanchez. Damian remembers the first time that he spoke with Merced on the phone. They ended up having a 45-minute conversation. Damian immediately knew they would get along. Her energy is infectious as much as it is through her conversation. Just her presence, you can tell that she has a a different type of approach to everything because she's so passionate and so involved with everything that she does. Merced plays a big role in her local street vendors association. She explained to me that for 10 years, she and her small group fought to legalize street vending in LA. Their efforts grew. Her group appointed her to represent them and testify in Sacramento before a committee. She followed a caravan of 40 people to the state capitol to tell her experience as a street vendor. She was nervous to speak, but said she did it for her community. Esto que estoy haciendo aquí no es por mí. Es por todos mis compañeros que han sido deportados. What I'm doing here is not meant to be for myself. It's for all my friends that have been deported. This is to stop our families from being separated. I have had enough of this. The cops come and beat us. They attack us without knowing that our worst crime, our one true felony, is not being born in this country. The crime we have committed is having been born poor in Mexico, with fear. To this day, I have not wronged anyone. 
I want to leave this place with my head up high, because I have fought for the right to work freely on the street, making history. Merced's work struck a chord with the commission to legalize street vending in L.A., and it helped convince then-Governor Jerry Brown to sign a bill in 2018 for it to be legal not just in L.A., but in all of California. Merced's community work doesn't stop there. She continues to support her fellow street vendors during the pandemic. It's been a heartbreaking year for her. Many of her community members died due to COVID-19. She's been raising funds for their funeral costs. No me gusta ver cómo sufre un compañero vendedor. Porque ahorita con la pandemia se nos han muerto varios. I don't like to see how other salesmen, like me, have friends suffers. Right now, with the pandemic, several of our group have died. You see them one day, and then three weeks later, they're gone. Dead. My colleagues in the area where I work still have respect for me as their leader, but I tell them that I'm not their leader. That word has no meaning to me. I am a street vendor. I am your friend, your colleague. And we will fight whenever we're wronged. We will stand together. Merced is from Puebla, Mexico, where she spent most of her life working government jobs. Then, about 20 years ago, she moved to the U.S. In order to watch her children and make some money on the side, she decided to become a street vendor. It was tough. Well, when I started to sell items on the street, I wasn't aware of all the rules you had to comply with. I didn't know that selling items on the street was a felony. I didn't know that just because I was trying to make a living, the Los Angeles government was already looking at me as a felon. There was a lot of police harassment. There were deportations. Merced eventually saved up enough money to open a store of her own in downtown L.A. She sold items like costume jewelry and loved her shop. But one day, a fire burned down her store, and she didn't have insurance to cover it. And then, in one June morning, everything caught on fire. I lost it all, and I cried. All I got left was this diabetes, but also the experience. I had learned how to buy and how to sell, so I could start over. Merced went back to street vending. She also started catering for events. And then the pandemic hit, and everything came to a stop. Merced first saw Damian on the news talking about Know Us Without You. Then she later got connected to the organization through her friend, a CNN journalist. The timing was perfect because Merced and her husband were already feeling the impact of the pandemic. Mi esposo tenía dos trabajos, trabajaba en un Dennis y en un hijo. My husband had two jobs. He also had a son. He had worked at a Denny's, but he was let go. His son would do hourly work every day, sometimes plenty, and sometimes would work for two or three hours. But he had other responsibilities, like his mother, and I had to help out my own parents as well. We all were left without a job, and we couldn't go out and work with food on the streets. So I told him, what do we do now? We only have some money left to pay the rent and some savings in case of an emergency. We have been living off of those, but they're running out. What do we do now? Even though Damian and Othan find the work that they do meaningful and rewarding, it takes a lot of work to run Know Us Without You. 
It's a stressful experience for them. Merced and Jose are just two of the members, but No Us Without You serves more than 1,500 families a week. There are people in the program who are in even more dire situations than Merced and Jose. Damian explains. I have folks explaining to me how they're in deep routes of depression and they don't know where else to look, who to talk to. I have people explaining to me that they're finding suicide notes from their nine-year-old daughter that are in books as they clean the house on a Sunday afternoon. In order to run this organization, the team has to commit to a particular lifestyle. Athone doesn't go out much or travel. He works long hours, goes home, catches up with his loved ones, and goes to bed. Then he wakes up and does it all over again. I definitely put my mental and physical health on the back burner. And I know everyone tells me that's really not what I should be doing, but I've been trained to embrace the suck, if you will. So I'm, I'm good. Despite these challenges, Damian and Athon tell me they each have good support systems that keep them grounded. And they keep going because they feel like they have a social responsibility to their community. It also brings them back to their roots in the hospitality industry. Here's Damian. I have families that reach out to me just as much as I reach out to them. I go out to their houses, six feet apart, 10 feet apart, just have long conversations. Human to human, just having a conversation, the art of conversation, something that I fell in love with in this hospitality sector such a long time ago, working the bar, exchanging ideas, getting to know each other, building a broad sense of community. It's not just having someone to talk to, though. The food that the recipients get also means a lot to them. Merced explains. I'm treated once every week. I get food, vegetables, and you know what? I share what I can every week. I take them some potatoes, tacos, and eggs. We manage to feed 13 people, those who are the closest. Doña Meche, they say, what did you bring today? some eggs with beans. At the end of the day, I'm really happy when everything finally makes its way. Thank you, Doña Meche, they say. Some days I don't sell much, so I jokingly tell them not to complain because we get to eat and have a good time and that's what's important. We didn't sell much, but we had plenty of fun. Still, it's a pretty bad situation for vendors. Not many sales, but we get nothing with crying. We try to get ahead. Merced told me this is more than she could expect to get from food banks and that she's grateful for people like Damian. I'm really thankful for him. He takes risks. His group is risking their lives because at any moment they can get infected. They don't mind. They're doing something for their community. For me, that's something worth a lot of respect. I admire the group very much. They're thinking not about their own health, but they're always thinking about us, the people that need them. It's having this food that helps undocumented workers like Merced and Jose continue to live. For Jose, he doesn't qualify for most government aid. When he does, it can be just a one-time payment. But Noah's Without You's help is consistent and ongoing. Jose's been receiving food boxes every week since the beginning of the pandemic. He even shares the food he receives with friends and neighbors. He sees Noah's Without You living and breathing techio. 
Y yo creo que si aplicamos la palabra tequio, well, if we are really talking about the word tequio, we can ask ourselves, are they really doing this with their organization? Do they give their time to help other people? I am truly surprised with all of this, and I feel a lot of other people are surprised as well by the organization and the path it's taken. Adon said it's important that their program's recipients are treated with dignity. They don't ever want anyone to feel like they're being a burden. We never want anyone to feel like they're getting a handout, that they're lucky to have the food we provide. There's just no such thing as that. The majority, you know, I'd say upwards of 95% of the families that we serve have never taken any type of assistance. They're used to working for what they have. I think it's very important to treat our families like the guests that they are. We serve them. And, you know, I always say this, that we're, we're happy to feed those who have fed us for years. As Athon and Damian have been saving others through Know Us Without You, the organization has been adding even more purpose to their own lives. Damian initially left the Bay Area for LA after a dark period in his life. His girlfriend at the time was six months pregnant, and they lost their child. He was heartbroken when he heard the news. You have this rush of emotions of, you feel icy cold, yet you're like sweating, and I collapsed, I just fell, I just, I don't know, what the It still kind of resonates with me. You never quite shake it. Just things didn't play out the way I thought. God had other plans, and you try to over-intellectualize and try to make some sense of why these things happen. It was this event that led him to L.A. I've been part of something more than just me, this community, this breathing, living creature of Los Angeles that... I have a part in now. I'm proud. <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy to be a part of the fabric of this amazing city that I can tell my portion of the story and to tell others that are listening to not give up. As Noah's Without You continues to grow, the team is facing their own challenges. Damian tells me they get hate mail and calls from angry people who aren't happy that they're helping undocumented immigrants. But they know it's a distraction that they just don't have the time for. We got families to feed. We got people to help. That hour going back and forth, thinking of witty things to say to respond with, that hour could be easily well spent doing something else that's conducive to our community. That's what they want. That's what these individuals want, is to detract you and take you away from the labor that we're doing. And they're not going to win that way. No way. Athon spends countless hours a day working on raising money to keep their programs going. They want more families to be able to get their food boxes. Athon told me these worries keep him up at night. And how am I going to tell Damien that we don't have enough money this week or that You know, he wants to bring in another 28 families and we don't have the money. So let me see what I can do. And I can't sleep if I know that people aren't going to eat. So it weighs heavy, but it's just something that has to get done. So I'm glad that I take it seriously because it's, it really feels like the most important thing I've ever done. There have been other efforts around the country to help undocumented restaurant workers. But as the pandemic has been going on for more than a year... Some of those programs are ending. But No Us Without You will continue to grow. Damian and Othon don't see this problem of food insecurity going away. 
If anything, the pandemic has caused a ripple effect. Even after they go back to work, you know, if we can provide them with food security so that they can save the little bit of money that they're going to have extra a week to pay down the massive amounts of debt that they've incurred, if they don't have to worry about buying groceries because we can supply that for them and they can pay off the rent debt that they owe or maybe get their car back, that would be our goal in the short term. It's not just undocumented restaurant workers they serve. Now, they give food to street vendors, mariachi performers, and day laborers. They do student tutoring and rent assistance. They even help out with diapers and formula for babies. Their Vala Hospitality office space, which is now No Us Without You headquarters, is getting a little too small for their growing organization. Oton is talking about needing more space. They just leased some land and are in the planning stages of building out a garden. What they grow will supplement the food for their families and also, hopefully, create jobs. As much as Merced is telling her fellow street vendors to keep fighting, she's doing it for herself, too. I have diabetes. I have to take care of myself. God has given me another beautiful granddaughter. She's my precious granddaughter. I have to take care of myself to be able to take care of her. Earlier this year, Jose was hospitalized with COVID. He was having trouble breathing. When the doctor told Jose he would potentially have to be intubated, it made him re-examine his life. What actions can you take once you leave the hospital? What to do, what not to do? Should I be with my family as soon as I can and maybe stop working a few years from now and return to Mexico to my family? I feel family is what matters the most. This pandemic has challenged and tested all of us. It's brought out our biggest fears, some of which have come true. If anything, Damian told me he believes this should push us to look out for one another even more. These are people that I care about on a daily basis and I check in. And sometimes you checking in could be the deciding factor in some cases between life and death. I'm speaking by experience. And I think it's time for the community, for this nation, I should say, to just check in on one another and making sure that everyone is okay. And if they're not, just listen. And if you can't, be this lightning rod, quote-unquote, then try and assist them in finding resources and hotlines that that can help. And um, I just hope to bring people closer together. And as I mentioned, he continue to keep building a broader sense of community and to continue to help those that continue to help us when things get rough. Thanks to Jean Tren for reporting this story. If you like Proof, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. Proof is hosted and produced by me, Bridget Lancaster. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. Yumi Araki is our senior producer. Caroline Rickard is our producer. Terrence Johnson is our associate producer. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Boynton and Anya Jashik of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composed our theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forrester and Jordan Pearson. 
Post-production supervisor is Hen Margolis. Our line producer is Diane Knox. Fact-checking and additional research by Angela Yang. Translation and voice work by Diego Senor and Virginia Laura. Special thanks to Damian Diaz, who interpreted during Jose and Merced's interviews. Jack Bishop is the Chief Creative Officer of America's Test Kitchen. David Nussbaum is our CEO. Thanks again to our sponsors, Pete and Jerry's, Acorn TV, OXO, The Mango Board, Edible, and Sitka Salmon Shares. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.